I have become the table guy. So you can always tell who's going to preach anymore by the furniture on the stage. Um, pro tip. Um, this morning, I want to ask, what if you were put on the spot? What if someone were to just randomly come up to you, put you on the spot and ask, how do you know Jesus is God? What would you say? Now, some of you would get extremely nervous, uh, sweat a lot probably, and run. <laughs> um, others would, you know, they would have to take a moment, breathe, right? But eventually probably could come up with something that uh, would be in the realm of something you would say to that kind of question, right? Others may even have the kind of reaction of, I dare you to ask me. I have a script. I'm ready. It's like, it's like a gun. Like, let's do this, right? And they're, they're ready for that kind of stuff, which is great. And all, except for maybe the first one, are the right reactions to that kind of question. Um, if I were to say personally, if someone were to come up and ask me that question, I would probably struggle to answer. Now, not in the sense of I struggle to believe it or anything like that. It's just more of a, how do you bring an answer to that kind of question that is condensed enough to where someone doesn't just gloss over and stop listening? <laughs> you know, um, like all of last year, we read through the entire Bible, right? We talked about it. We taught about it. We taught, you know, discussed it in small groups. We listened to podcasts, all of that. And we all learned one thing about the Bible. Does everyone remember that? It's one unified story that does what? talks about Jesus, sends us right to Jesus. So if the entire Bible is about Jesus, how do you take anything out when you're trying to explain why he's God, right? So that, that's like where my mind goes. So it's like, how do you answer that question? Well, I would probably start with some kind of uh, long drawn out story or analogy, because that's usually how I explain things um, as Sarah shakes her head at me. Um, <laughs> um, and I would probably start with something like this. Here we go. Um, I really, really dislike card games. <laughs> um, and like in a classic Adam story, it doesn't make sense till the end, so just stick with me, okay? Um, I really dislike card games. Um, in fact, I don't really like games at all. Uh, card games, board games, kickball, um, anything like that. I just, I'm not real big into things like that, okay? So, um, like I said, I don't really care for it. I think that they're boring. I don't think that they have necessarily a point, except for one thing that I am okay with being involved in, and that's the social aspect. So every year we go up and we have our big wonky vacation up in Michigan, and everyone wants to have at least one night where we sit around the table and play cards. And um, they all sit around there playing, and they're like, hey, Adam, so you're going to play this year, right? Like, you know I'm not. Um, but I love sitting around the table and at least being part of the conversation and talking, right? Um, I, I do like that. But in fact, I would say probably the only thing worse than playing cards is probably putting together a puzzle. Um, like, why would you take a perfectly good picture, chop it up in little pieces, and say, have fun? I don't get the purpose of it, um, in fact, or, or the people who put together puzzles because of the mystery, right? It's like, well, we can't stop now. It's only halfway done. We don't know what it looks like. It's on the box. <laughs> you know, so anyway, I don't get puzzles. Um, okay, moving on. So uh, the only thing about card games, though, is, you know, because some people are like, well, I, I like to watch, right? Like, Nope, I don't like watching either. I like talking during card games. Um, but what's really fun, actually, is if everyone's seen the really dramatic movie scenes that involve card games, right? Like the, the really intense poker scenes, right? Like um, 
Uh, James Bond has one that's really good. Actually, I think he has more than one, but whatever. Uh, all those. I find those extremely interesting because how do you take something so boring and make it dramatic, right? Um, but they do it, and it's awesome, okay? So to me, the highlight of those scenes is when the player can um, watch the other one enough and be like, I have found their tell, right? Does everyone know what a tell is? Okay, for those that didn't grow up in Vegas, a tell is like some physical thing that a card player does that basically is a sign or a hint that they're lying, right? So like if they're bluffing, right, which is a lie, by the way, again, if you didn't grow up in Vegas, okay? So, um, so if they're bluffing, they're lying about what they have, so they might pull their ear or whatever, hold their breath, and they can be, ah, I gotcha, I know you're lying, right? So you can get the upper hand. That's a tell, right? And it's, it's always a super dramatic thing where it's like, ah, I figured you out. I've got it, right? And I, I always think that's really the highlight of the scene, okay? Now, here's the thing about a tell. In order for it to work, it has to have two things. One, you have to be looking for it, right? So you have to be examining it. You have to be watching for it. Or else it's just some guy pulling on his ear, right? The other one is, it has to be tested, right? Now, this may cost you some money, Right? Because you do it the first time, like, oh, he really did have three aces. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> right? So you move on to the next, right? So it has to be tested. Okay? Now hear this. I believe God has a tell. And unlike these really boring card games <laughs> that I don't like taking part in, they're intentional. And they're all around us. But you have to be looking for him. You have to be looking for him. God wants to bring you in. Like I said, it's intentional. God wants to bring you into these tells. He wants you to see him in everything that he's left for us. He wants you to see him in creation. He wants, to see, he wants you to see him in everyday miracles of life. He wants you to see him in strawberries because strawberries taste good because that's how we know something's good because he's the objective good, right? Things like that. He wants you to find him in everything because he has made everything. But the other side of this, right, it has to be tested. Not necessarily to be proven true, but so it's proven true to you. So whenever someone were to ask me, how do you know Jesus is God? It's like, well, the good thing is I don't have to come up with that answer. Jesus does it for us. He has a tell, and he's inviting us into the proof statement of those tells. He's guiding us through these witnesses that he has laid out here at the end of John 5. And this is what we get to kind of walk into. So if you haven't done it yet, I encourage you to follow along. We're going to be in John 5, starting in verse 30. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, as always, we say this a lot. Black Bibles are in the chairs in front of you, that little rack, right? Feel free to open that up, follow along. Um, I, I want to encourage that because th there is a lot that we're going to be walking through. Uh, Debbie did a great job of reading it for us this morning. So th there's just a lot here. Um, so I want you to be able to follow along. Um, if you do have a Bible, but you feel like someone in your life needs one, feel free to take that Bible as a gift and hand it out. 
okay? We have plenty. That's the reason why we have them, okay? So let's go ahead and get started on these witnesses. Again, this is kind of like Jesus' proof statement, so to speak, okay? If you're into math things, okay? So the first witness actually starts in verse 32, okay? So we're going to skip down, actually. Um, Let's go ahead and read that. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So Jesus is doing something really interesting here, actually, and he's, he's foreshadowing something that he's going to unpack a lot more later. He's foreshadowing the Holy Spirit, okay? That's who he's talking about here. Now, we are going to unpack that a little bit more ourselves from here um, late, later on. So that's more like a John 14, 15, 16 kind of area, okay? And what, like I said, we'll, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the Holy Spirit at that point, but we do want to talk about Holy Spirit in the regards of this particular verse, okay? So we are going to talk about that, okay? So He's, like I said, so he's, he's talking about um, the Holy Spirit, kind of foreshadowing this, like I said, that he doesn't talk about until maybe uh, where he's preparing his disciples for like a post-ascension world type thing. So, um, <clears throat> but before we uh, go too far down into the Holy Spirit uh, rabbit hole, so to speak, um, let, let's talk about the word witness for a second, okay? Um, or more specifically, the idea to bear witness. It's the same word, one is the noun, one's the verb, same root though, okay? So it comes from the Greek word martintero, all right, which is really hard to pronounce because uh, it's about that long. <laughs> uh, but it's mortero. And see, I can't say it right the second time. But um, anyways, and it basically means to testify or to commend is another version of it. Um, speak highly of in like a plain English type of way. Um, there, there's a more of a modern translation too that I, I really enjoy and I think it fits really well with this. Um, and it's basically to vouch for. Um, and I really kind of like that one. And again, these are more all the, like the verbs of of just the um, idea of being a witness, so then you bear witness, okay? Just to make sure we keep that separate because it's going to make sense here in a little bit, okay? So if I were to vouch for something, right, that means that I have seen firsthand experience of something, so therefore I, uh, my opinion of that thing, right, is, is valid, okay? So if someone were to come up to me and simply ask the question, does Lee look really cool in a cowboy hat? Um, I could very easily say, oh yeah, Lee looks very cool in a cowboy hat, okay? Um, wh- why can I say that, right? This is where it gets, re- I, it gets really confusing, I understand, but wh- why can I say that? Because I've seen him, right? I, I'm, I'm a first-hand witness of seeing Lee walk around in a cowboy hat and be like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that, I, I wish I could wear a cowboy hat and pull it off, but I can't, right? I'm a first-hand experience, okay? So, not only is Jesus teasing out, foreshadowing the Holy Spirit, but the other really cool thing here is he's foreshadowing and teasing out the idea of a triune God. Because why does the Holy Spirit get to bear witness to Christ? Because he has firsthand experience. He was there when it all went down, right? He was there whenever Jesus says, exist, and everything existed. He was there whenever Jesus was the, literally the voice, right? The word of God. Spirit was there. Okay, he gets to read the resume and say, check, check, I was there, I've seen that, I'm the reference, give me a call, he deserves the job, okay? That's the Holy Spirit. So not only are we foreshadowing him as a person, but we're foreshadowing the Trinity in general with one verse. That's, Bible's so cool, 
Jesus is cool, whatever. But it, it just, it's just cool how like dense some of the stuff can be, okay? So, and that's what he's unpacking for them. He's saying that the, the very first witness that you need to understand is the spirit itself, okay? Now, this is the same spirit, okay, that eventually will testify to your spirit, believer, speaking to you, will testify to your spirit to remind you to bring to your remembrance that you are a son or a daughter of God, to remind you of your salvation, to remind you that you are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, put in the hands of God to never be removed. And that's what the Holy Spirit eventually will do for you. Same spirit, okay? Romans 8.16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So when you're going through the hard and the muck of life, that still small voice that some people like to describe, whatever, that, that inclination inside of you telling you, you're a son of God. Get your chin up, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. I wouldn't be doing that. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. So he reminds you, but he also convicts. The other side of this is the Holy Spirit creates this desire to pursue God, but also to submit to his authority. It produces this, like I said, this desire in you to put Jesus in that kingship and that lordship of your life. So just as a proof of your check, I mean, just as a proof to yourself, like, I mean, if you're going through life and you don't necessarily have any desire um, to pursue God, to pursue his word, to pursue his authority in your life, to come underneath that, then I I think you would, I love you, but I think you should double check your faith. Because though the believe, have the spirit, and and the spirit will testify to your spirit. He bears witness that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's keep going. Move down to verse 33. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, has a bur- he was a burning lamp, excuse me, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So we started out, uh, Jesus right out of the gate, pulls out big guns, the spirit. The spirit itself is what testifies to me, right? Vouches for me, right? And then there's some Trinity language in there that we get to unpack at a later time in John here, but um, there's a not a lot of forbearing there. That's really cool, right? And then now we're moving into the testimony of, of humans, man, specifically uh, Jesus is mentioning John the Baptist here, okay? Um, but what we see is actually Jesus kind of devalue the vertical proof here and actually escalate a horizontal proof, okay? Let, let's, let, me, um, let me unpack that a little bit, okay? Verse 34, let's talk about this. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. Okay, so what's Jesus saying there? Basically what Jesus is trying to point out here, that this testimony of man 
is not something I receive or not something that I accept, not something I put value in, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Let me put this a little bit more plain, okay? Your opinion and what you think of God does not make him any more or less God, okay? In fact, I would say if whenever you are, you, know, you have this mental image or this character of who God is and what he does and how he operates, if that's any less than the God of the Bible, you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, God doesn't necessarily care what your opinion is. It does not make him any more or less who he is. And Jesus is pointing out, he's talking to the Pharisees, by the way, during this passage. I don't know if we pointed that out yet. So, but when he's talking to the Pharisees, he is telling them that your opinion of who I need to be, because you have this character of who the Messiah was supposed to be, right? But your opinion of that does not make me any less God. Okay? That's what Jesus is trying to point out. And I, I think, I can't harp on this enough. Okay, there is a humbling aspect to verse 34 that we all need to accept. Okay? Because what we like to do is go through life and just have this... Um, and this undefined boundary of who God is in our life, right? And you insert him wherever you want. And just like because of this un, uh, unbounded version of himself that you like to attribute all these powers to, everything like that, all of a sudden now there is no absolute truth for parenting. All of a sudden there is no absolute truth for relationships. There is no absolute truth with why we're even here this morning. None of this matters anymore whenever you don't put God in the real version of him that we read. So there's a humbling to this that ultimately your opinion doesn't matter. Except horizontally. Horizontally. Let's explain this for a second, okay? But let's read on to verse 35. But I say these things so that you may be saved. Okay. Um, anyone shop Amazon? Everyone shops Amazon. I mean, <laughs> right? Amazon, Walmart, any online thing that involves some kind of reviews, right? You can even go to a local store and read the Google reviews before you go, right? Why do you read reviews? Why do reviews exist? Um, but let's think about that for a second. Or like whenever you go on Amazon, right, and you type in some like light bulb, right, and it brings up like 500 pages of light bulbs, right, and you look at the first product and it says like 22,000 reviews, four stars, and the next one right below it says five stars, but it only has 100 reviews. Which one are you going to choose? You're going to choose the one with 22,000 reviews, right, because obviously the more people there are, the more valid it is, Right? I just went through this. Last night I was trying to buy a light bulb because we bought a camper. Don't freak out, we're not going anywhere, okay? Um, but so we just bought a camper and the tail light was out, so I needed a new bulb, okay? Uh, and thanks to Amazon, one day shipping, it'll be here today. Uh, so we bought a bulb and it was the same thing. It was like, why are there so many light bulbs? It's a bulb. Like, it, this isn't a big deal, but like one of them had like 22,000 reviews, four and a half stars, and then the one right below it only had a thousand reviews. I was like, ooh, I don't know which one to get, right? Everyone, everyone sees validity in someone else's opinion, at least to an extent. If you view them, now, obviously, all Amazon reviewers are experts. I don't know if you knew this. Um, but if you know of an expert or know someone that you trust their opinion, for example, 
if something on my car is broke and I call JR and he gives me his opinion, I'm going to take his opinion, right? I was like, he probably knows what he's talking about, right? If you didn't know that, JR is actually a pretty good mechanic, okay? So I that would be validated. His opinion would be validated to me, okay? That's what Jesus is trying to point out here. It's like, you followed John the Baptist. He was a burning light to you. You respected his opinion. And he says, I'm God. So the second witness is not to validate he is God vertically, but horizontally, in between us. Okay? And that's what Jesus is trying to point out to us. Let's move on down. Verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works of the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. It's very interesting that Jesus is using, uh, so when you talk about works, he's talking about the miracles, right, that he's done, okay? Um, it's very interesting how Jesus is using those miracles in this particular context. Um, so something to understand, <clears throat> real quick. Um, back in these days, uh, miracles were not looked at a way to prove God's existence, okay? Um, they didn't say like, oh, this guy um, has taken, you know, a kid's lunch, basically, right? And fed 5,000 people. Obviously, God exists, right? No, the miracle would actually be used to validate that God is with him, okay? So there is, there is no proof of God's existence or not. It's simply who is God with, that, right? That's what the miracles. So whenever Jesus is saying that the, the works that he is doing validate and prove and testify to who he is, what he's saying is, obviously God is with me because only God can do such things. Everyone remember back when we uh, read the story of Nicodemus and he came and talked to him, right? What did Nicodemus say? I wrote it down here. So, excuse me. <clears throat> Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him, right? So Nicodemus understands this, okay? It's not that God is real, it's that God is with you. And that's what Jesus is trying to point out. That these miracles, these works that I'm doing are this obvious sign, this obvious vouched for sign, I am who I say I am. And at this point, plus the next one, this is not the Pharisees being like, I don't know. I don't know. That's not quite what I was thinking. Everything. Jesus is basically finally like, at this point, it's a refusal to believe. Eventually, we're going to get to the story of Lazarus, right? Which is a very obvious miracle. Like, it's hard to argue that one. You're either dead or you're not. And yet the Pharisees still question it. So at this point, he's trying to say, it's a refusal. You're refusing to believe it, even though the signs are obvious. Let's go ahead and finish up. We're going to read verses 37. Right here, or start in verse 37, sorry. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not know, excuse me, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, 
yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is pointing out as his final witness right now that the scriptures themselves is bearing witness to the reality of who he is. Everything that these Pharisees would have held dear to them saying, it's pointing you right to me and you refuse to see it. The truth is, the Pharisees would have known the scriptures far better than most people of the time and I would even go so far to say probably better than anyone in this room. Okay? And they missed it. So what we need to understand from this is that the amassing of knowledge of God does not necessarily lead you to him. <laughs> okay? And you can cannibalize those words all you'd like, but let me, let me further explain, okay? Um, the Bible that you guys, I had you pick up, right? You're all following along, right? With what we're doing because you have a Bible in your hand, okay? The Bible you're holding is not about the Bible. The story does not tell the... The Bible does not tell the story about the Bible. The Bible tells you the story of Jesus. And if you take your eyes off of that prize, you've completely missed it. Because that's what the Pharisees were doing, right? They were searching the scriptures to find a Messiah, a character of who they thought a Messiah was, because they were reading the scripture for the knowledge of that. But their heart was far from him. It should be a story you read that, that stirs in you. And not that everyone does this perfectly, because sometimes, and I can say this about me, sometimes you just need to get up and start reading the Bible, even if you're not necessarily receiving anything or feel like you're receiving anything, right? It's like, I don't know, I read it, I just can't get anything out of it. Or I read it and I just don't understand it, right? I hear that a lot. I don't understand everything, <laughs> you know? But the other thing we have to realize is this is literally the word of God. There has to be some kind of supernatural layer to this that we don't 100% perceive how it affects us, but it does. I want to read something real quick. And this is actually from Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So if we are supposed to be battling against not flesh and blood, right, but some kind of spiritual thing, you better believe that God is also battling on that same unperceived plane of existence and would have given us the word to feed our spirit. So even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't even understand what you're reading, there's a supernatural power that's flowing out of that word into your spirit that's going to empower you and embolden you to witness. Because this is what the religious leaders missed. They weren't letting the scriptures feed them even though they were consuming it. I had a whole other quote from Francis Chan, but I'm going to go ahead and move on from that. 
See, as soon as we create a God that's outside of the Bible, it becomes powerless and has no value for us whatsoever. But as soon as the God of the Bible really starts to feed our spirit, as Abby so eloquently told us this morning, it changes you. Because our Bible tells us of a lion of Judah. Our Bible tells us of a Jesus that came and conquered Satan's sin and death. And that's a power that we can harness. Let's go ahead and finish this out. I do not receive, starting in verse 41, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is not holding back at this point. Because if we remember, three chapters ago, they already said they were going to kill him. So let's double down and say, Moses is actually accusing you, not me. Um, they didn't need a reason to kill him before. Now they do, right? Um, but what this literally means is the Old Testament and the law is pointing them directly to him. And at this point, I think he's trying to get some uh, emotional tug from them by mentioning Moses. We're going to go ahead and... Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about this too. Um, right before we close, um, there is a bonus witness that's not necessarily mentioned here in John 5, but I think it's worth bringing up um, because I think this is what I would want everyone to hear and take with you, Okay. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the end of the earth. The same Holy Spirit that was the very first witness that was there when everything went down the one that testifies to your spirit that you are a son or a daughter of God will empower you to continue that torch and bear witness and proclaim Christ as the son of God. So I ask you this morning as Nathan comes up, Where do you stand with that? Now, I'm not asking for, um, in a way of, oh, man, do you stand on the street corner yelling out, proclaiming that way? But more of a, do you feel like you tap into that emboldening power of the Holy Spirit that puts a desire in you to witness, to tell others 
of Jesus, to tell others of what he's done, to explain, to talk about, to whatever, the, the God of the Bible, not the God of our minds or the gods of our opinion, but the God of the Bible. Not picking apart aspects of, of him we don't like, right? It's like, oh man, I really like this one. For God so loved the world. Oh, I love that. That's really great. And then you flip back a few pages like, whoa, we did what? So you know, let's take that part out, right? Are you ready and willing to accept God as a whole that we read and let the Holy Spirit embolden you and empower you to be a witness? And you notice it says, to the end of the world. That means there is no boundary. There is no stopping. But it's also something we can't do until we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It starts there. You receive the power by believing and accepting that Jesus is the Son of God. That he came, the one who created all of the universe, humbled himself, took on flesh, came among us, lived among us, taught us, and allowed himself to die on a cross for your and my sins so that we may be rescued and saved only to rise again three days later, defeating Satan's sin and death, so that we may believe and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. So I invite you just to check, check your faith, see where you are. We would love to talk more about that with you. We'd love to pray with you. David's holding a baby right now, but I'm sure he could come up and pray with you. <laughs> but we'd love to. Please respond.